This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am your host, one host, Swatha Danda Kumar. ACB's Advocacy Outreach Specialist, and I'm joined by Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in to this episode of the ACB Advocacy Update via your favorite podcast player or listening over the ACB Media Network. How are you, Clark? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Swatha. It's been a while since we've done a a new podcast. So much has happened in the past, what, month? Still in the first quarter, I guess technically second quarter now of 2022. But we survived the the leadership conference and the legislative seminar. And we've got some some updates for folks related to some of the topics that we discussed then. Yeah, so our imperative from um, 2022-ish conference First one, first one, Exercise Exer- Fitness for All Act. So ACB is still continuing to meet with members of Congress and seek additional support. And yeah, that's what I've got so far. Update in that one. Clark, any add? Yeah, so already here in the 117th Congress, Swatha, I think we've passed the co-sponsor numbers uh, for when the bill was introduced in the 116th Congress. So good on our ACB members and affiliates for getting up and getting moving and increasing support for this bipartisan legislation. Um, the numbers won't blow you away, folks, but in the 116th Congress, uh, which was 2019 and 2020, there were three House co-sponsors for this bipartisan legislation. Uh, those three co-sponsors are back again, Representative DeSaulnier, who spoke at the leadership conference and legislative seminar uh, via a recorded video. Certainly thankful for our California Council of the Blind members who were able to, to work with their congressmen to find time to, to do that video and share it with us. So Representative DeSaulnier, Representative Young, a Republican from Alaska, and Representative Titus from uh, Nevada were the original co-sponsors. And then we've added a few more from Virginia and Arizona. And the the problem is when you start naming people and naming states, you're bound to forget someone. So Mm. will more work needs to be done on this imperative swatha, but we are raising the profile of the legislation, which is exciting. Yes, very important for people to know about it and the impact of it. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So the second one we have is a medical device and just accessibility act. That's possible. Um, so the, the the bill is now but part has now has bipartisan support from both Democrats and Republicans and we are still seeking co-sponsors and support and it's speaking original 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 sponsor in the senate so still a house bill but it's promising it's promising so 
Yeah. And it, I guess to back up um, to the exercise and fitness for all, um, I know we, we know these issues inside and out. And certainly everyone who joined us for the legislative seminar knows them as well. But for anyone who's new, um, Swath, will you give a quick overview of what the Exercise and Fitness for All Act uh, aims to accomplish? And then we'll do the same for medical device non-visual accessibility. All right. Yeah. Okay. Forgot about that. Um, so this bill, the Exercise for All Act, would um, set accessibility standards for gym equipment and classes and require a staff member to be trained in assisting and using the accessible device equipment and devices and teach and trained in teaching uh, a person with disability in using equipment and in classes. So yeah, so basically right now you go to a gym and they'll say, uh, oh welcome, you know, we are fully ADA compliant. Here's <laughs> here's the ramp, here's the elevator. Um, and you're good to go, which doesn't, you know, is certainly beneficial, um, but does not provide full and equal access to people who are blind or people who have vision loss when they try to go into a class setting or they want to use the exercise equipment in the gym independently. So this legislation would implement uh, accessibility requirements for tactile user interfaces and audio output, um, navigable menus, so that people who are blind and low vision would be able to use the equipment independently. Uh, so that's what we're, again, that's what we're seeking to access with exercise and fitness for all. And Swatha, Swatha what's the cliff notes on medical device non-visual accessibility? Yeah, so this one would require the FDA to or set um, standards for accessible equip or medical devices. So things like blood pressure, blood pressure readers and heart, heart rate monitors and glucose monitors and those kind of class two and three medical devices that have digital, digital interfaces. So they come. They would have to have sort of have sort of accessibility built in. So a button or a um, text speech or voice output. So yes. Yeah, and and this this legislation focuses on uh, digital equipment and uh, diagnostic equipment with digital displays mm -hmm. because the the thinking is that the the technical requirements to make this equipment accessible um, would already be prevalent in the device to add speech output or a tactile user interface. Um, you know, so it wouldn't be a, a fundamental alteration or an undue burden um, or hardship for the manufacturers to do so. And as, as Swatha mentioned earlier, there's this bill in the House, H.R. 4853, does now have bipartisan support. There are 47 co-sponsors to the bill, 45 uh, Democrats okay. and two Republicans. Mm. Uh, so big shout outs to our members and advocates in Washington State 
for getting Representative Herrera Butler to sign on to the legislation, as well as our members and advocates in Nebraska for getting Representative uh, Don Bacon to co-sponsor the legislation as well. And Swatha advocacy on on this legislation continues, especially um, advocacy on this topic continues, right? Yeah. We are still looking for a Senate companion, but um, we're also, they've, or access, the National Council, National Council of Disability have also released um, a framework that includes um, accessibility for devices and for medical equipment. Yeah, so we are, we are continuing to conduct joint outreach uh, with the, the American Council of the Blind and the National Federation of the Blind to seek a Senate sponsor to introduce a companion bill in the U.S. Senate. Uh, so hopefully we'll have some, some good news to share on that front. And then we'll be able to do this all over again and encourage folks to reach out to their two state senators, urging them to co-sponsor. Uh, and then as, as Swatha mentioned, we had a presenter at the legislative seminar, the executive director of National Council on Disability, uh, one yeah. Ann Summers McIntosh. And as was mentioned at the legislative seminar, NCD has released their health equity framework. Uh, and within that health equity framework is information on uh I guess more like physical accessibility to durable medical equipment and diagnostic equipment, uh, more so, you know, focused on the the height of hospital beds and chairs and things like that. So folks with uh, mobility dexterity uh, impairments are able to you know to transfer to move around comfortably, uh, but the framework was silent on the. Yeah, sensory access or non-visual access to medical devices and following a very productive conversation with NCD, they've expressed that they believe the health equity framework should be a, a living document um, and they are open to additions to the framework. So we'll continue the conversations with them um, to, to ensure that access, non-visual access for people who are blind and low vision is a, a consideration for the health equity framework as well. Yep, absolutely. And our third imperative year was the web accessibility, web accessibility act. Um, this was not a bill and it's and we are still looking um, to get a, a bill introduced or legislation introduced, but um, working with members of Congress on that. And we've also, um, and we've also been working, working with the disability community to on this issue and, and with um, the administration to release regulations so far, they've introduced introduced guidelines. Um, the DOJ has introduced introduced guidelines on on web, web access, but we're looking for further than that. So, 
Yeah, so we are taking a a multi-pronged approach to this issue of uh, website accessibility and digital inclusion. Um, so even before making this a, a legislative imperative for ACB, we are working with the, uh, the, the broader disability community on outreach to the White House and to the Department of Justice, uh, seeking for them to restart the rulemaking that was abandoned in 2017 um, that would have created accessibility, you know, enforceable accessibility standards for um, websites under Title II and Title III of the ADA. And simultaneously, we have been working with the disability community on drafting legislation and providing feedback. Um, right now, that both those tracks are still firmly underway. I know it's difficult when we don't have a, a bill number uh, that we can point to when advocating for an issue, um, but I do think that there are positive signs that we are making headway on this issue. Um, the first one Swatha mentioned is that on Friday, March 18th, the Department of Justice updated their website accessibility guidance. Um, they, they did this very publicly and on their website, they listed what is, uh, what is required by the ADA when it comes to web access. They also listed uh, links to several accessibility settlements that they have reached most recently with several prominent grocery store and pharmacy chains uh, regarding their websites for uh, COVID vaccination registration. Um, so we, we take this as a very positive sign that the Department of Justice hears us, that this is a, a very important issue. Um, and we think that not only do they hear us, but they, they want to show us that they are working on this issue and taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. um, although guidance is not what we are ultimately seeking, we do think it's uh, an important reminder and kind of, you know, stakes, the, stakes a flag on the hill um, that this is something that they're working on and we'll, we'll continue to push to both the Department of Justice and, and the White House uh, to keep this as a top priority. Um, and to complete these rulemakings you know, here in the first term of the Biden administration. However, if this is not done, we, we need to keep pushing forward on legislation as well. Um, right now, our, our draft is improving. Um, we've had a, a bunch of folks from ACB, as well as our partner organizations, weigh in on this issue. And we're currently seeking, you know, broad coalition support from the disability community um, so that everyone can be in, in lockstep on this issue when it does come time for legislation to be introduced. Mm -hmm. uh, and Swatha, one more item. It's not only the disability community who is you know, raising 
raising this as an issue. We did a, a sign-on letter with over 180 disability and civil rights organizations. Uh, one of the letters went to the Department of Justice, but the other letter went to uh, several Senate offices requesting them to uh, you know, lend their voice to this issue as well. So we'll, we'll continue to work with our partners in the U.S. Senate uh, for them to conduct outreach and express their support for the White House and the Department of Justice acting on this issue also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We still are looking. We're still working with our partners. Yeah. Yep. And Clark, the last one, um, the Communication Video Accessibility Amendments, Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act. That is right. Everyone in ACB knows about the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010, or the CVAA, um, the law that brought us audio description requirements, as well as accessible user interfaces for, uh, for smartphones, wired and wireless phones, and advanced communication services, two-way text and audio communications. And ACB is working with the, the deaf and hard of hearing community to amend the CVAA. So we added a third A, the CVAAA. Um, and the drafting of this legislation is ongoing. Um, so unfortunately, not, nothing as exciting to announce like we have with the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, or even the progress that we're making with the uh, Website Accessibility Act. Um, but progress is being made on the, the CVAAA to expand audio description everywhere, um, everywhere in the United States. So not geographically limited, um, to not have audio description limited to certain types of video providers, but mm -hmm. frankly, to provide the same level of parity for audio description that exists for closed captioning. So that however somebody is consuming their video content, um, they can have an accessible user interface. They can activate the, uh, the settings and turn on audio description. Um, certainly more to it than that, you know, to be able to turn on audio description, your program with audio description, uh, we need to make it easily identifiable, um, searchable, you know, so that folks can find program with description that they can activate it themselves. And then heaven forbid something doesn't work, um, have a, a point of contact so that they can follow up and get issues resolved in the, the playback of audio description. Yeah. So while we work with the, the disability community, um, we also are, are working with the uh, a key Senate office uh, who is reviewing the, the legislative draft at this time. So hopefully in a, in a few months, Swatha, maybe we'll have a, another bill to introduce and another bill to revisit. Yep, another action, another action alert for our members, so. Exactly. So. All right. <laughs> So those are four um, legislative imperatives, but there are a couple other items that are uh, occupying 
the ACB advocacy efforts. Um, one is related to the Ability One program. As, as many folks are aware, the Ability One program um, provides employment for people who are blind and low vision um, through the provision of federal, federal procurement contracts. Um, these are administered by the Ability One Commission and National Industries for the Blind. And then the contracts are fulfilled and the employment opportunities are provided at uh, various nonprofit agencies around the country, uh, many of which are members of the Vision Serve Alliance, um, many of which is our lighthouses for the blind. So the uh, Chicago Lighthouse back in your home neck of the woods, Swatha, or Blind Industries and Services of Maryland near where near where I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and, and many more. Um, right currently here in April, the Ability One Commission has published a draft strategic plan and comments um, can be filed, I believe, until the end of the month, April 30th. So ACB filed comments, National Federation of the Blind filed comments, American Foundation for the Blind, National Industries for the Blind, and, and many others are, are filing comments and input on um, the Ability One Commission's draft strategic plan. Um, to inform our comments, um, ACB published an open letter on Ability One modernization at the beginning of April, uh, April 1st to be exact. And in this letter, you know, we expressed our support for the employment opportunities of the Ability One program, um, but we also made it clear that any, any efforts to expand the program uh, must involve input from the disability community and must include conversations of how to reform and modernize the program so that it continues to meet the needs and expectations um, for our members in the broader community of people who are, are blind and low vision. Um, following the, the publication of that letter, ACB President Dan Spoon, our Executive Director Eric Bridges, and I were in attendance at the Vision Serve Alliance uh, Executive Leadership Conference, and we had the opportunity to, to speak with many other leaders in the field, whether that was presidents of uh, various lighthouse agencies or Lee Nasahi from the Vision Serve Alliance and, and other folks representing the National Association for Employment of People Who Are Blind, um, such as the, the current president, Jeff Mittman from Bosma Enterprises in, in, in Indiana, and the public policy chair, Cindy Watson, who is the executive for the San Antonio Lighthouse, um, to, to talk through these principles and find, find consensus. And we'll continue to have these conversations um, so that we can collaborate with our our peers as much as possible um, to, to help provide a unified voice uh, when raising issues related to the Ability One program and certainly how to modernize and move the program forward.
And so after those conversations will continue as well. Our executive director, Eric Bridges, is on a panel speaking to the uh, Public Policy Symposium for National Industries for the Blind next week. And the Vision Serve National Policy Collaborative will be meeting following the, the AFB Leadership Conference the, the first week of May. Um, so I, I imagine this will remain a, a topic of conversation and a, a policy priority for ACBR members and the broader blindness community. Yep, an ongoing working work in progress. Um, yeah, so also along in that, also um, very relevant to um, our current tradition, COVID testing. Um, so not quite implemented, but still kind of important to us. Um, so last month, the National Institute of Health um, held a listening, listening session, listening session um, with members of the disability community, including several ACB members, I think Clark was there, and Dan Spoon and some others, um, kind of seeking input on accessible testing and what needs to be done in that regard. Um, so how'd that go, Clark, over there? Yes, the National Institutes of Health listening session. I thought it went really well, Swatha. It was broken up into three working groups. One uh, and those accessibility working groups were, um, you know, loosely grouped by, um, you know, disability classification or considerations. Um, so there was one breakout for blind and low vision access. Another breakout working group focused on uh, physical mobility, uh, dexterity uh, impairments and how, how you access COVID tests. And then the third group was focused on COVID test accessibility for you know, seniors and older Americans. So ACB uh, was well represented, uh, certainly in the blind and low vision working group. Uh, president Dan Spoon, immediate past president Kim Charlson, uh, Transportation Committee co-chair Claire Stanley, a uh, friend of ACB who works at American Foundation for the Blind, Sarah Malayer, and and I were all present, um, and uh, President Mark Riccobono from National Federation of the Blind was involved with that working group as well. So we were able to provide feedback on everything from the instructions to the test uh, needing to be in accessible formats, the, the physical feel and structure of the test, being usable and identifiable um, and the, being able to complete the testing process and then I and then having access to the information or the testing results at the end of the test. Um, and certainly some of our uh, other ACB members uh, such as our 
Advocacy Services Chair, as well as President of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Jeff Tom was involved with the Older Americans um, Working Group as well. And, and Swath, I'm not missing anyone, am I, who is also involved? We had so many people in attendance. I don't um, believe so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a great opportunity to, to provide feedback. Um, they certainly heard us. Uh, they did a nice recap at the end where they, they summarized and shared what was discussed in each of the three groups. Um, and we know that this work is continuing. Um, and partially this work is continuing because the, the COVID uh, virus, it, it is resilience and uh, it's coming in waves. Uh, so access to tests and access to vaccinations uh, will remain a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, not only a, a priority for the nation, but a priority for our organization and our members as, as advocates. And we will continue to make this a priority for um, the National Institutes of Health and Health and Human Department of Health and Human Services within the government. Uh, because people with disabilities and certainly our members deserve uh, equal access to an accessible testing service, just like everyone else has access to. Yep. Absolutely. So another one where I wish I had more that, that I could share <laughs> uh, or that we could share, um, you know, when, when we have more information on concrete Uh, steps that are being taken or progress that has been announced. We will be sure to pass that along. Uh, We were very happy to have the the acting administrator, um, Assistant Secretary Allison Barkoff from the Administration on Community Living, join us at the legislative seminar. Um, and share the information available through ACL uh, to be able to request COVID tests um, and find testing services. But, but we know that more, more still needs to be done in, in this regard, and we'll continue to uh, collaborate with, with her and with ACL as a partner in this effort. Mm-hmm. Well, Swatha, I know we've got uh, plenty of other things going on as well, but I think this is a good place to, to wrap up on our four legislative imperatives and the recent work we're doing on the Ability One program, as well as accessible COVID testing. Um, it's already April, folks, and it, it feels like before you know it, and right around the corner will be the, the ACB conference and convention, convention in Omaha, Nebraska. So please... Stay tuned um, for more information related to the conference and convention from ACB. And also stay tuned for more advocacy updates from me and Swatha. Uh, But if you have an advocacy issue that you'd like to bring to our attention, Swatha, what's the best way to do that? They can email advocacy at ACB.org or they can call us at 202 
467-5081. And thanks again for everyone tuning in to this episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. We will be speaking with you again soon. Yes, and as always, Clark. Keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.